Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The 20-Something Mom. I'm your host, Mackenzie Frank, and today we are wrapping up the third part to the My Mom's Story series that we have been doing here on the podcast. I'm loving the feedback that you guys are giving. I am so happy that you're enjoying this story just as much as I do and hearing it out. What an amazing, strong woman, and um, I'm excited for you guys to hear the third part. So let's get it started. <laughs> um, okay, so <laughs> I want, I think we can move on to what happens the next couple years. Mm-hmm. And now, right, so. okay, you know what I'm talking about? I think my latest, biggest. No, 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 you're missing over, you're stepping over a huge hurdle. Um, the rediagnosis. Oh, oh my God. Okay. So there oh, yeah. was a. No, that's what I was talking So, oh, you were. Okay. So there is a rediagnosis we come to years after this whole house situation. Right. So before I actually, before I moved to Connecticut, I had seen my doctor and I had this weird lump in my leg that was warm to the touch. And I had gone to my um, doctor and I said, what is this? And he said, it was nothing to worry about. Just keep an eye on it. And uh, so I did. And in the past we moved and I I think I had him check it again. And he said it was just kind of like cartilage or something. And I said, all right. So we moved, went through all of this fire I'm keeping an eye on this thing and it's getting big and now it's getting annoying and I decided well let me um go and have it taken off um so I went and I had some blood work done and I went to the hospital um to have surgery to get this thing removed and as I'm waiting there my girlfriend had taken me and waiting for the doctor literally I'm in my um night I mean the the gown that they give you and my hair in a net and I'm not waiting for the anesthesiologist and waiting for my doctor they're like well he hasn't gone back to us he's just waiting on some information but then I get a call in the um in the hospital nightgown you know can you come to the front desk of the they come in we need you to come and talk on the phone I answer it and it's my doctor and he was like Lee I'm sorry we can't do the surgery and I'm like why it's like well come to find out this is uh, a melanoma and I just now in my life older this is 2010 and I know what this means a lot more than I knew what that meant when I was 23 24 so now I'm standing there at the front desk at the nursing station and I fall to my knees and my girlfriend next to me and he's telling me on the phone that we're not sure if this is stage four because it's moved either this is a new one or it's stage four so now i'm just a mess and i'm thinking this is insane how is this happening to me going through all the tests come to find out it is stage four and the piece that when they had done this big radical surgery they must and they never did any um 
any kind of chemotherapy or radiation to kind of like that's something they would do now if they had done this big surgery, pulled everything off. They would just end it with like some kind of radiation to make sure all the cells are dead, which they didn't do. So for the next 20 years, this grew in my body and come to find out when I had gone for more tests, I had it everywhere. Like, so I had it in my leg, I had some in my arm, I had all of these little inside me cancer tumors that I kept finding out about. And um, I had gone to um, uh, a, an oncologist in Rhode Island and she didn't, and she was, I have no idea. Like we were asking her what we we're going to do and how, how long I have and my sister was with me and like how long and she was like I had to say it would be like six months and I'm like what so we walked out of there and I'm like oh I said to my sister no I'm not okay with that like what are we gonna do I'm not I'm not <laughs> I just was like I gotta do something else I'm not gonna be okay with her telling me that so then I talked to a lot of friends and I had other people and they suggested going to Dana Farber. And so I made an appointment. And I Dana Farber and they were a lot. Dana Farber's a cancer, cancer institute in Boston. Boston. And um, even though, so they weren't, um, you know, they hadn't seen a lot of melanoma that had been in somebody for this long. When I first got melanoma in 2010, um, there wasn't a lot of not first that right not you hadn't first get it right no when I got it again so when I first got it I didn't know anything about it like I said I went robotically did what I needed to didn't understand anything 2010 when I got it I was older and I knew more and um. And the internet was around and you could do a lot more research. And um, so there's good and bad that he did. I was able to ask more questions and I understood a lot more and I knew what I had to do. So if if, during this time, I would say, you know, make sure that you give me radiation, which I didn't know back then. Anyway, my point being is that um, they didn't know a whole lot about it even now in 2010 of that melanoma that you could survive that much, you know, it was very new. Um, not anyway. So I didn't, I had a lot more hope going to Dana Faber. They were, made me feel like, um, I had a chance. Um, at the time I didn't think I had much of a chance though. Still, um, this was when I screamed and begged and cried and knew what was going on. And it was, um, yeah, it was hard, 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 hard thinking of the reality that uh, I would die young like my mom, you know, and leave my kids and all of that. Um, so I, I, I was very down during that time, I remember. But I also remember saying to myself, what is happening? You're not, nothing is changing when you're just crying and crying. You're not getting any better. Figure this out. 
So I ended up getting a really good oncologist doing some trials. Um, there was a really very important time that I do want to talk about that happened to me. I was, it was probably maybe six months after finding out and I was pretty down about it and still thinking that I can't survive this, but I'm going to see how long I can live kind of thing. And I was driving back from my sisters and I think we had had like a, um, a sleepover prayer kind of get together and it was all about healing and for me and stuff. And something happened with my car and I got a flat tire or it broke down on my way home. And I had to call um, AAA and the, the uh, tow truck came and I got in the car and I was just saying, I can't to the guy. I was like, I can't believe this happened to me. You know, I just, I just found out that I have cancer stage four and I just like just opened up to this guy, this truck driver I'd never seen. And he tells me, I know somebody, my neighbor who was diagnosed with stage four melanoma cancer. And he lived 40 years more and died at the age of 84 um, from heart attack. So don't, you know, he was like, and I looked around and I know we're not talking about religion and all that, but I looked around and he had a tattoo of Jesus and he had a cross and he's given me this information of hope that I hadn't heard before this. I didn't know that I could live 40 more years. I thought I was looking at two more years or, you know, that kind of thing. And that changed the whole way I looked at it after that. Gave you some hope. And I thought, there was, there's no reason I can't live forever. Let's just figure it out. And so I've gone through trials. And my first one, um, I ended up doing um, it. My pituitary gland blew up. And um, I was in the hospital for a long, long time. Um, not a long, long time, but you know, a week, um, trying to figure that out. And I was in a lot of pain and couldn't see, and my head was uh, just so much pain. Um, but then I was on another trial after that, and, uh, and things are just shrinking. And right now, I've been on maybe four or five trials, and I've done chemo, and I'm in a really good place right now. I, I go every six months and I'm very stable, as you know, and I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing great. Nothing anybody would have ever known um, 11 years later. The absolute biggest blessing ever. And I didn't even understand any of it at the time. And I did want to ask you, like, what was it like when you first got re-diagnosed in 2010? Um, I was a sophomore in high school at that point. Um, you know, your kids are all a little bit older. Like, I remember you telling us, but like, was it was it something that you you told us a lot of information or did you hide some stuff like your mom did for you? All right. So I had, I made, like, it was very conscious for me. I really thought about that a lot. And I thought 
um, do I tell them? So I gave you guys a little information and I talked to um, therapists at Dana-Farber because they have people come in um, to ask you questions and, and I asked them how to deal with it. Um, how do I tell my kids? And, you know, of course it's the best way you think. And I just remember talking to you about like facts and I remember having a pamphlet and I remember saying, this is what it is. And I didn't say I could die, you know? Um, so we went little by little. I didn't force feed any information. I didn't know a lot of the information. Um, and I just, I, I did, I told you what I knew and um, maybe unless I, I know that I didn't tell you that I was screaming, crying and begging God for my life when you left for school in the morning. Um, that was, you know, after you left and I would just scream at the top of my lungs and get it all out and then move on with my day. And I knew that I could not, that's what I mean when I say that, I don't allow myself to stay in a in a place. It's it's very uncomfortable for me to be sad, upset, as it is everybody. And I can only talk to myself. So sometimes I may sound ridiculous because people probably like, yeah, well, who does like to be there? But I don't like to be there in that place that I, I leave it as quick as I can. And I really, truly move on. So I don't dwell on things. I'm not a sit and dwell and... You know, I'll shake things off as much as I can because it's worse to feel that, that sad upsetness that I just want to get out of it. Would you, know you I mean? yeah, I do. And would you, would you kind of call that a skill? Like, is it a skill to be able to, to get yourself out of that mindset in such a dark, traumatizing yeah. time? I think so. I think that it's something that I worked on, and I think that you I got a know, lot of practice. Uh, I don't know if it's a my chemical balance, you know, the way that I'm made up, that I don't go to, and I don't. Maybe it was from the time that my when my mom died, and I and I was there, and I thought, well, I can't get there again. That's way too much. But I, yes, I do talk myself a lot. I do reason my, my advice to you and my kids is always self-talk, self-talk. I'm truly about the self-talk. Um, what I'm going through now in my life, this tragedy that I'm dealing with right now, I self-talk. <laughs> so let me just give myself a little shake here. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's important to, you know, feel your feelings, but don't stay there too long because there, there's no need to be if you can try to grasp and get out. Yeah. And what worked for me. And I think back to, and I wish I could hug you right now. Um, I'm not with you, but huh, um, I think back this to. next subject, go fast. Because um, I am in a hard, I'm in a delicate situation with what I'm going through now that you know. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can wrap up after this one and we'll, we can finish the rest at another time, you know. Um, but just back to it being a skill. I mean, I, you know, I want to say like you've had so much practice in this. Right. Like yeah, having yeah. to go through stuff it, just forcefully. It's just been for, you know, 
you've been put in these situations, you've been having to deal with these things and you've had no choice, like you were saying, in each situation that we've talked about, there has been, you know, different ways or reasons of why you've had to pull yourself out of it. Um, And a lot of them coming back to you being such a positive person, but, um, you know, you've just had, you've had a lot of practice with it. And it's just, it, for me, it's a, it's, and you being my mom, it's amazing to see. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my mom is this like super strong, fantastic person. But hearing it is. Yeah, I don't think I'm strong. I don't think, I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm strong. I just feel like, like you gotta just keep trucking. You gotta do it and you're not, and, and you wanna be happy. You know, you want to be happy in life. So how do you get to the next point in your life and keep happy and keep going? And how do you not call uh, that strong? Do you know what the, the definition, the definition of strength is the capacity or substance to withstand great force or pressure. And you've done that time and time again. You've withstood each of these situations of great pressure and force, and you've stood you've stood strong. Wow! Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Well, I think we can wrap it there because I think <laughs> you've unloaded a lot, and I don't want to put you into you know i know the the latest stuff that's going on um i think that can be oh i mean explain with it what it is and it's very recent and um i i lost my sister after um a two-year battle of cirrhosis and it's the wound is very fresh and um i haven't even um digested this you know myself so i haven't dealt with it at, at all you know, um, and I think every day it, it, it gets harder because every day that passes, she's not here. But And she's 50 years old. And, um, and yeah, so, I, you know, definitely have some self-talking and remembering and the good points and, and all that. Yeah, well, um, I... Very fresh. Yeah, it's, it's definitely still you know so fresh for everybody and and you and your siblings I can't even imagine um but I do want I want to thank you so much for sharing your story because I think so many people can get a lot out of it and hearing it is just a whirlwind of emotions but a true testament to who you are as a person and um I'm I'm thankful to be able to share it and 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 share it on this platform because it's a special story, and I think it's worth sharing. I appreciate that, Mackenzie, and of course, and um, anything for you. I love you, and thank you for sharing my story. I will tell you, there was you. You had said like, "Oh, is it a FaceTime?" I'm like, I didn't. I I was like, "There's just absolutely no way I'm FaceTiming you through this." <laughs> you didn't know that, mm-hmm. but I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> Camera's off. Bye. <laughs> hey. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I don't know if we would have been able to get through it. Mm-mm. No, well, but it was it was real. 
to share my story and it definitely, um, if, you know, if anybody can hear anything or take anything from it, that's awesome. Oh, I'm, I'm I know, I know that people can. And, um, thank you so much. I love you so much. I love you so much. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in to this three-part series of My Mom's Story. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you to my amazing, strong mother for sharing her story and putting herself out there. I know her story, like many others, can provide comfort, advice, and hope. Tune in next week for another episode of The 20-Something Mom. Have a great week.